Hi everybody, this is Ryan, back here with another episode of Stars Forever, joined by my co-host. This is Cliff. And we are back with our next episode of Stars Forever here, uh, rolling into, I believe, episode 10 today. So crazy, we're already uh, double digits. But we are going to, uh, the big arching topic is going to be back to the sports side, so talking about uh, conference realignment, uh, specifically with uh, how it relates to college football and the stars of college football side, but then also talking about the negative impact or potentially negative impact that it could have on some of the other sports. So we'll kind of dive into that a little bit later in the episode. Uh, but first, wanted to thank everybody that listened into our uh, episode from last week about the kind of goals or missions uh, or emphasis that we feel the military, uh, to also include the Department of Homeland Security and the Coast Guard, should take. And we uh, we had a couple comments that uh, from people last week that I wanted to uh, wanted to just you know kind of get Cliff's blind reaction here on. Um, we'll kind of talk about just so that, uh, like we said, you know, if you submit a question to me, uh, I do see all of those and we we will address them. So, uh, Cliff, the first one we've got here is uh, the comment says, I really agree with the points you guys made, but how do you feel the U.S. fits into the global stage, especially with the rise of some of the other uh, quote unquote superpowers coming into the foreign economy, and the military strategy. So I'm assuming this comment's kind of talking about, uh, you know, most specifically China, um, but even, I think, to an extent, Russia as well with uh, the conflict that's going on. So yeah. uh, if you want to want to talk a little bit. Then well, I, can... I mean, yeah, my blind reaction is, is, and again, this is my opinion, um, you know, and I think that's what the listener is asking for. Um, I, I would never see us as the only superpower. I, I, you know, even being ex-military, I can't ever foresee us being the only superpower. Um, there's going to be other superpowers. The, the key is to maintain our own strength and maintain um, that presence so we maintain balance in the world. Um, you know, the, we can't expect to be the only country to drive everything that goes in the world and to drive all the economies and all those kinds of things. We have to expect and we need others to step up and do those kinds of things. But there has to be balance. Right. And if if, if one gets control or or, or um, one has the overall established or influences through the use of their military, then there's everybody else is subjugated to them, um, in my opinion. And so, you know, U.S. has to maintain its presence. U.S. has to maintain its its strength. Absolutely, it has to maintain its deterrence and its deterrence capabilities to prevent anybody from, from you know, in a sense, going off. Um, I, 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 I don't know if I answered that well enough, but uh, um, I, I think, think that's where I, I think stand. so. You know, I, I would definitely agree in saying that. You know, we're never going to be the only power, but maintaining that standard that we're, you know, promoting good in the world. And yeah. I think a lot of what we talked about last week with priorities was, you know, a lot to do with here in the United States. But us having a strong sense of security here in the United States 
allows for us to take those steps to help our allies all across yeah. the world. That's a great point. Cause that's the segue. That's the taking out of our, the, and boy, do we, we look smart because, mm-hmm. you know, everything that's happened in Israel and already we're seeing the influence in the, um, you know, the potential intrusion of terrorism, you know, using the borders and so forth, you know, to, to, to get in, in a sense of, you know, with the capture of, um, some Hamas, um, you know, uh, trying to enter through the southern border. Um, you know, those kinds of things are proving out. So, you know, the United States, if with allies, with allies like Israel, like England, like France, like all, you know, any of the any of the NATO powers, whatever, whoever is our friend, we all have to be uh, together against terrorism. We just can't. We cannot, you know, allow that to come forward. You cannot allow. Uh, what happened and what potentially could happen in our country. Um, so that strength of our own borders, strength of our internal, of our own country, using our, you know, our resources then to also support and, you know, take out, you know, terrorist factions and so forth around the world. And so, again, but it's that balance, right? We can't be the only one doing it. You know, we need balance. Um, you know, other countries are already starting to see you know, the, the impacts of this, uh, you know, terrorism in their own countries. And, you know, everybody has to fight that together. And so, boy, that sounds really basic and preachy, but it's, you know, um, it's along the lines of that, the answer to that question. You're exactly right. And that is actually a very good segue into our second question here. Uh, after the U S disengaged from Iraq and Afghanistan, do we feel that the threat of anti-American terrorism uh, has risen? And with that, does our disengagement allow us to better move pieces around to help countries like Israel? Or does it hurt our ability to move pieces around to help countries like Israel? Boy, that's a tough question. Um, you know, and again, we're not... We're- we don't have masters and doctors in policy and so forth. So again, this is just a you know a layman's perspective. We couldn't stay in those countries forever. It was sucking us dry. It was sucking our resources dry. Um, you know, it was weighing too heavy on our military forces and so forth to continue to to stay. How we left as a whole another topic, and I'm not going there. Um, but it, at some point, we had to to get out. Um, of those uh, of those areas, did it impact, and does it allow it to come back and to allow them to start back? Yes, absolutely, it's going to because there's a void there, right? If, if there's not a presence, but I think this is an opportunity to kind of pivot, and and I think um, uh, what I'm hearing from the question is um, what I would think, which is now it allows us to establish those, in a sense, those joint command structures to more rapidly react, to go, if we know there's a terror cell training center, why can't we go back and, and take it out? Um, you know, if if there's this issue, you know, in Israel, which we have to be very careful about stepping into other countries' borders and fighting wars with them, that open, that's a different question as well. Yes. But I, but I think, you know, taking um, and, and moving to, a more flexible regional based, um, you know, com- you know, uh, joint commands where we can react. And, and, and I think it does help that because, again, we're not overly based in one location, um, it, you know, uh, burning all of our assets and our great assets into into one locale or one country. So, 
again, I hope I uh, conveyed my thoughts well enough there. Again, I I think that, like you mentioned there, uh, kind of with the regional, um, you know, movement of of units allowing us this way where we're not overexerting our units with operation tempo if they're either deploying into Iraq or Afghanistan or they're at home training to go deploy. Like this way they're allowed to actually have the time to conduct the maintenance that's needed to repair equipment for the unit, to repair aircraft, vehicles, whatever it may be. And then when they are deployed, they can be much more of a flexible asset. Uh, like we're seeing now, I mean, the Navy has moved two carrier strike groups into into the immediate vicinity uh, of the Israel conflict to try to kind of preemptively stop any additional countries from getting involved. And I think that's not necessarily something that we could have done if we were still in Iraq and Afghanistan, specifically because we wouldn't have the the free use units, I guess you could say, that weren't engaged in conflict in the Middle East to be able to pivot over to conduct a mission like this. And so I think, I don't know if you uh, even heard yourself say it, but the regional hotspots of allowing us to, let's pull resources back to one specific area where then we can shoot them out anywhere in a region as needed to, uh, like you mentioned, Cliff, you know, conduct a strike on a terror cell that that we know about or support an ally in a conflict or, you know, kind of move those those regional bases around as needed. And it's so much more flexible. Uh, well, than also, and, and sorry to interrupt you, but it also allows us to, in a sense, train with and again, uh, conduct joint operations with some of these allies of ours. And so you know, creating creating units um, that allow us to, to draw in and, and draw the best of some of these other great assets um, from other countries, you know, into not just, you know, joint U.S., you know, military civilian organization stuff that we talked about last week, but also bring in these other countries. Now, you have to be careful which countries it is and so forth, because, you know, we have to make sure that the, the, their principles and the way they react and act, you know, are, 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 you know, appropriate. In alignment with uh, the in U.S. In alignment with this, our own strategy, you know. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, I'll stop there. I think also it allows for our units to not be solely focused on desert fighting anymore because, you know, in all likelihood, the next major conflict that's going to be fought, let's be honest, is not going to be desert combat or at least not predominantly mm-hmm. desert combat. Well, it could be. I mean, if things I mean, continue to escalate, they are in the Middle East now. This it will be. But yes. um, but you're right. I mean, other regions of the world are not just purely desert. And I mean, this is why we talk about regional and so forth. Because again, in my opinion, some of these battles could be completely sea seaborne, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it, it changes everything. So why wouldn't you? You know, the potential conflict in Taiwan, if that ever comes about, you know, is going to start as, you know, from from the sea or from an amphibious standpoint. And so, um, you know, it's it's it creates all these, you know, units. And that's why I think the question was great. And I think I hope our opinions before made sense, because this creates that flexibility 
And as you're alluding to earlier, when you when you're landlocked into a one region and one type of, in a sense, climate, you know, um, your flexibilities go down. Well, and I think when you're constantly, you know, for over 20 years fighting an enemy that has no air force, no naval forces, you know, is not conducting amphibious assaults or anything like that. It's solely just guerrilla warfare, basically. Well, it is. You start to degrade that. uh, And and there are countries that really have no, have never really had any solidified central government. It's always been factions and warlords and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, until, you know, in a sense, Iraq and dictator came in and took over, but there's still all those factions and, and so forth. So it's, I think we're kind of beating the topic to death here, but, um, you know, I, I hope, hopefully those kind of gave our opinions in, in, into the questions asked. Yes. So we really, uh, really thank both those listeners that submitted questions. Uh, we appreciate everybody. We're seeing our listener numbers continue to, to increase. So we really appreciate that. Really appreciate uh, you guys all taking the time to, to tune in. And for those of you interacting um, like I mentioned, we we do see those questions. I see those questions, and, you know, pose them to Cliff here, put him on the spot today with uh, some blind reaction. Uh, thought he did a great job there. So we really want to keep doing that as we have some of these more uh, conversation-driven podcasts is we want yeah. to see your interaction with us. Yeah. All right, let's swing. Let's go over to something a little lighter now that's not, yes. you know, so damn doom and gloom and so forth. So this is why we set this podcast up this way is that we're not always in the doom and gloom of one topic um, where we can talk about other things um, that were in a sense, stars impact our world um, or our country or our sons and daughters or, uh, you know, um, or our economy around us and so forth and so on. So this is why we're swinging to this new topic today um, and talking about, uh, you know, what's all going on with these, major conference, um, NCAA conference alignments, and more so from the standpoint of do we not do we agree with who's in what conference, but more so into how is this impacting, you know, uh, collegiate sports? Yeah, it's, uh, for those of you that aren't aware, uh, there was a few members that moved to the Big 12, moved up in conference uh, for this season. But the predominant uh, number of members moving uh, is going to be for this next season. So you're going to see a lot of changes. The Pac-12 has basically been vacated um, with about half the members moving to the Big Ten, half the members moving to the Big 12. The SEC gains Texas and Oklahoma. The ACC is gaining three West Coast teams. Um, so I'm not going to go through and read every single school and where they're going, but just that's kind of the baseline premise is that, uh, the big 10 and ACC are gaining West coast members. And, you know, as Cliff kind of mentioned, we're not necessarily talking about, do we agree with where, you know, Cal is going or do we agree with where USC is going, but rather like what is the impact on this going to have on the student athletes, both that play football, well, which. Yeah. I mean, let's just jump in here. Right. I mean, we're talking, yeah. we're repeating ourselves. Let's just jump in. I mean, 
we were already seeing the Big Ten is not the Big Ten anymore, right? The Big Twelve is not the Big Twelve anymore. They're, and the SEC is not the SEC anymore. They're they're big super conferences. And what's right. happening is a lot of these teams are joining into these conferences solely for the TV rights and the in, and the revenue standpoint. And so, in a sense, colleges are looking for alternative ways to fund their schools. And so they're joining these conferences to get these TV rights and and TV you know revenue streams and become part of these conferences where they share more revenue. And so it's become this big battle now. And it's just, it's, um, it, you know, to me, it's, it's wiping away the NCAA's, you know, general purpose, which is to provide a, provide a platform for student athletes to play. It's a business now. And you know, we've said this before on other, it's a business now. And, and, and these student athletes are being used um, in a sense to fund the colleges. And so they're just, um, you know, yeah, they're paying some of these kids, you know, but not all kids are on full rides, right? And, and with fractional scholarships and, you know, fractional, you know, um, uh, layouts, football's different than other sports, but it's, it's, it's a revenue maker now. And, and now we're seeing, you know, kids are getting hit with, you know, uh, you got a West Coast school playing in an East Coast conference. And, and now they're, I was, you know, one thing that jumps right to my mind, and, and this is not anything new. Everybody's already talked about this. You got a golf team or a tennis team. You got a cross-country team. Somebody like that from a West Coast school has got to fly across country and, and you know, go to a meet, you know, or whatever back on the East Coast and then fly back. It's just not fair. You know, it's, it's in they don't get the chartered airplanes. They don't get all the special things no. that these big football schools get. The big football schools charter a damn plane and put everybody on one plane and don't have to deal with going through, you know, uh, commercial airports and all this other kind of stuff. It's treated. It's totally different. And so there's these impacts. And but it's also hurting the schools that can't join or can't, in a sense, um, you know, get to one of these super conferences. So it's like these going to be these super conferences and everybody else is out on these outliers it's kind of creating this almost wealth divide between mm -hmm. the big d1 schools and the smaller d1 schools because now how are you ever going to compete with some of these super conferences where before in other sports you might have had a little more parity between um the talent level of different uh different schools but now like if you have an opportunity to go to one of these big schools, why in the hell would you not go solely for just the exposure and the NIL money that right. some of these student athletes and I mean, let's be honest, mainly football are getting. Yeah. And I think like you, like you mentioned there, you know, some of these smaller sports play multiple matches or games in a week. You might have a Tuesday and a Friday or a, a Wednesday and Saturday type of thing. Baseball is a big example of that. They'll play double headers on a Tuesday and Thursday or Tuesday and Friday. And it makes no sense for somebody like Stanford to go fly all the way to Florida State, play Florida State for two matches, get done super late. And then what are they going to do? Fly back to California just to turn around and fly back again the next day? to go yeah. compete in another match now in Syracuse, New York or wherever yeah. they get the travel time for, for these well, West Coast them, athletes. It, it takes them out of being a, a, a collegiate athlete. It makes them a paid athlete. 
in a sense, right? I mean, what we're talking mm-hmm. about because they have less time for school. Yeah, okay, we can do homework on an airplane. I'll make you know all those lines. I'll get you up my ass. Um, you know, th- th- this is this is in a sense you're you're you you hope you get a degree and you hope you can. And and there's a lot of smart kids I know that are able to manage it. But to me, it just seems like the it's sending the wrong message in my mind because it's basically making you a paid athlete. The NIL money is going to go to the super conferences and to the super areas. And so there's going to be these select few athletes that are going to get all the money. I always think back to like Saban's comment on the NIL. He made it a while back. And I know he's probably switched stance on this at this point, but I just remember from before, how does the kid in the locker room that's making $2 million in NIL sit next to a kid in the locker room that's got no NIL money or no chance for NIL money who's there just to play because he loves to play or she loves to play. How do they interact in that locker room? I mean, how is that fair for the one that's put in all that effort and everything else just to fight and claw his way to be on Alabama? And the other guy that came in as a superstar and NIL money and, and basically was brought in, you know, um, you know, for those purposes. How do those? How do you? How do you balance that? It just to me, it's just completely. How do you? I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know how you balance that. You know, between those two. Those two. Well, what really concerns me is, you know, a lot of these sports that are played in college, there's not a professional league. Oh, wow. so there. Yeah. So there yeah. is no, you know, oh, I'm going to go to the pros and make money there. So so many of these student athletes are going to school. They're on full rides and they're taking advantage of these full ride scholarships in order to get a high level degree in something that can make them money after graduation. Yeah, but not, not think, all of them are getting full rides, right? I mean, you got to realize, well, I mean, small I mean, sports are there's some, they're fracturing those those scholarships. So they're in there on a quarter, you know? Yes. So, you know, kind of regardless, like, you know, take a school like Stanford, for example, very academically challenging school. A lot, I'm sure, of the student athletes there are, you know, trying to get degrees in pretty advanced level stuff and pretty, uh, you know, advanced level courses. And so, you know, if when you're playing on in a West Coast school and a West Coast conference, it's a little bit more manageable to be able to still go to class, you know, 80, 90 percent of the time and still learn all of that material that you need in order to graduate with you know, a degree in high engineering or biomedical or something of that nature that could help pay like very well once you get out of school. But my concern is now that kids are going to be almost forced to take just basic level business management with no specialty because they won't be in class enough to learn anything tougher. And with all this travel, it's like, okay, you know, the superstars, the ones that are going to go play in the NFL or the NBA, it's fine because they're going to go make millions and millions of dollars. But the ones that aren't going to go on to do anything else, even on big sports like football or basketball, some of them are there using whatever scholarship money they can get in order to get a degree that maybe they couldn't have gotten otherwise. And now we're talking about. Yeah, we're talking about the impacts. I mean, this is one of those impacts, right? We're talking about the impact on the small sport or small school athlete, right? And and what this is creating when you create these super conferences. 
And so, you know, it, it, it does, right? And we don't know. I mean, there's a lot of people that may manage it and, and may be able to pull it off and so forth. And maybe schools are facilitating through some other forms of means. And maybe, yeah, they got to do online classes or something. I don't know. But it just, from a surface level here, it just, it, it just kind of, I think it just puts an increased challenge against the small school, small sport athlete, I think is one of our points here. And I think it's just, it's sad that the impact is being felt there when this is being driven so much by the TV networks. Like you've got companies like Fox and NBC and, you know, even ESPN that are driving these streaming and uh, TV deals offering buying, billions and billions of dollars and yeah, buying, buying the rights to these schools. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, of course, these schools that are trying to make money for the university are going to go after the biggest suitor. And if that's taking your West Coast school and taking them to an East Coast conference to make the most money, then, you know, that's what they're going to do. And but it really is only an like a positive impact for football, in all honesty, because football plays on weekends. They play on a Saturday. So you can travel in on Friday, Friday morning, Friday afternoon and get there and do walkthroughs and then play the next day and then fly home on Sunday and no big deal. And that's where the money is. That's where, you know, most of the viewership is, is for college football. That's where, um, you know, all the impact in a positive way is. But like you mentioned, it it's not being felt in a negative way really on the football side. It's being felt in a negative way on all of the other sports that this repercussion is just rolling right um, through. Yeah, that's partially true because it is being felt on the football side for all those schools that can't make it into one of the super conferences. Yes, that is true. You know, and so they've kind of been subjugated to, um, in a sense, being tier two of division one, you know, um, you know, and that's really what it's become to these other smaller conferences, you know, uh, just can't compete. And now look what happening to the remainder of the Pac-12. I mean, with most everybody leaving the Pac-12 and is what is it down to three or four? What I happens think just down sense? to two. Yeah. And so they're maybe they're going to go pull some other schools in that are some of those smaller schools we're talking about are the tier twos into it. But that but now they've lost you know competitive advantage i guess is the only way i can say it not on the field but with tv rights and revenue and money and all that kind of stuff to the bigger conferences and i don't blame these conferences for fighting that fighting it out that way to survive i mean that's what they had to do but you know just like with nil how big of an impact it's made um you know and the portal has made on on the ability to jump and transfer and so forth I mean, it, it's it's kind of scary that collegiate sports is going the way it is because it's really turning into a professional, uh, as we've mentioned before. I mean, I've I've watched the impacts of of recruiting in baseball um, based on portal transfers, you know, NAL money and the extra COVID year. I mean, it's it's really hurting, you know, the the kids that were graduating last year and this year having any chance whatsoever of ever obtaining a division one scholarship 
unless you are just some freakazoid super athlete, you know, uh, then you deserve it. I obviously am not going to take it. But then half the time, those people are getting drafted. I mean, specifically baseball, they're getting drafted right out of high school. Uh, And so they are and, and making that choice. And, but many are now taking NIL has changed that because now many of those guys are saying, well, I can get 2 million and still go to college. Versus yep. I go to the minor leagues in the pros, I get drafted, I got to go to the minor leagues and make 30000 you know, whatever the minimum salary is now for, for you know, uh, single A ball where you all, most all have to say it's thirty forty five thousand 45000 I can go get an NIL deal and play at Louisiana or, or you know, at Vanderbilt or something like that. You know, it, it's changed everything. It really has. It's another competitive professional sport is really what it is now. And these super conferences are creating that same impact. Um, these other factors are creating these impact. You know, we're 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 melding a bunch of subjects here into one now. You know, just the way my mind's spending spinning here. Um, and, you know, we, we we're just starting out to talk about conference realignments, but we're these all to me in a sense as I'm talking through this all all meld together. I I think they really. I mean. You know, as we've talked about in previous podcasts, Kentucky is like the University of Kentucky is a big uh, kind of fandom for us. And, you know, even on this quote, the Kentucky football coach said uh, a week ago, Mark Stoops, I can promise you, Georgia, they bought some pretty good players. You're allowed to these days and we sure could use some help. That's what they look like. You know what I mean? And when you have 85 of them. Yeah. And then he went and asked, went and asked the asked the Kentucky fans for basically more money, you know, the, to compete. This is the same thing that you know a couple of years back when Saban made the comment about whatever or the other coach. It's that's where it's getting, and it's is how do you play this game? I mean, we watched it. I'm not going to say what school it is, um, but there was a school. Uh, you know, my youngest, you know, was talking to Division One school and so forth, but the coach was very adamant against you know, the portal and he wanted to develop his players and bring guys in that he could develop and build the team and, and develop his kids and kind of bring them through up through his system and so forth. Love the idea. But what happened is he, he wasn't winning and he, you know, he wasn't winning. So now all the boosters of, of that university are like, you know, you better start winning or you're going to lose your job. And so he had to reverse his whole, his whole mentality, his whole strategy. And, and, you know, players like our, you know, my kid, you know, now are not on the forefront because he had to go to the portal and he went to the portal and in a sense got the best team he could get out of the portal. And I'm sure there was some NIL money basically coming from the boosters to, in a sense, to buy a better team, you know, but now it impacted the young athlete because now he has no chance to get in there. You know, that's just a side story, you know, basically spinning off of what you said about Stoops. I mean, it's this is where it's all getting scary and and i think the conference alignment you know has a huge impact um you know uh, it, it, for the reasons we've said but then all these other matters kind of tie up into it and i don't know how to separate them logically i think it's just it's the I dynamic mean, I don't think of you really changing. can I think yeah that's true yeah even like what you mentioned with a coach that's not winning you know uh, these days Schools expect so much and rake in so much money that these coaches have 70, 80 million dollar buyouts for their contract. Yeah. And they go like one year without a winning season. 
and these schools will pay the buyout just to hire somebody else. Well, we, and we, we've seen that, you know, with what happened in Michigan State, but that was a, you know, that was more cr- criminality uh, actions, and then, but we've seen other schools where the coach came in, had one good year, and then bought him, paid him all that money, and then the next four he sucked, and so um, it's not any of the schools we've mentioned here, but um, he, he sucked, and now they're trying to buy him out, and you know, to throw that kind of money around, you know, it's just scary. 80, 80, you know, 40, 80 million. How many scholarships could you have provided for the non-athlete at these universities, uh, uh, you know, or even the small school athlete? It's just, it's sickening to me, you know. Or what really academic is. facilities could you have built or what yeah, other yeah. sports complex could you have upgraded? What um, technology the, could you have brought just in? The football field or the, the basketball? What social impacts could you have had? You know, what, what kind of things could you have done for your community? It's just, it goes on and on. But this is... We're all over the place on topic here, but I don't know how to get back. <laughs> I mean, I think all of it really ties together. Like the whole conference realignment, super conference thing has been driven by TV networking deals, which is this huge money. This huge money is also being paid out to athletes in these super conferences through NIL. And now the portal has allowed people to basically take advantage of going to a small school for a year and then transferring to one of these super conference schools to make NIL money. And then on top of that, with boosters being able to pay NIL money to students, you know, now it has allowed where people don't have as much of a, a willingness to let their team be bad for a year where you know now the money is there from these giant tv deals to boot a coach after a year or give him some huge contract that maybe they haven't actually earned and so it's just created this huge influx of money into college sports into more specifically the major college sports or to the universities and now the universities are seeing treating it like a business which they are um, you know, and if you're not profitable in business, you, you make changes or, you know, you let people go or, you know, um, you get bought out or whatever. This is basically what's happening here. So I think that's really where, you know, it all ties together is that the whole conference realignment, bringing money into this whole system and basically just inflating the college sport economy, I guess you could say. It's all been driven by the fact that these schools are getting paid hundreds of millions of dollars every year for the rights to stream or, you know, broadcast their college football games or college basketball games. I wish so, I knew more about how the revenue got shared in the university, you know, from from the, the revenue that they gain from sports. How is it distributed amongst the university? I don't know. Um, you know, I'm not a CFO at a university. Yeah, but I don't really I, I, know what the how much is being shared down to the non-athletes and to the you know the things that we're talking about here. How much of that of the you know of the the millions and millions or probably billions that you know some of these big football schools make you know is shared to other programs within the university. You know, I, I wish I knew that. Yeah, it would be really interesting to know what that breakdown is or how much of that. It comes in from, you know, the large programs and the athletic department gets shared across the board or how much of that goes to the academic side 
of the university. Um, yeah, because and the reason I'm bringing that up is simply because you know we're we're sitting here you know uh, bemoaning these schools for making all this money, but maybe maybe there's good from that. I don't I don't know. <laughs> uh, is that being shared down to the athletes? I don't know. Um, I do know. I mean, that I would the, just I would have to look at college football and basketball coaches' salaries compared to some of the other sports head coach salaries and. You know, that part alone would say reasonableness would say no, that there's not an equal share amongst the athletic department just because what the average football coach salary is like seven and a half million dollars a year. And I'm sure that the cross country coach is not making seven and a half million dollars a year. Yeah, but that's could that be proportional to, you know, again, is that proportional to the revenue brought in? Or is it, you know, I don't know, we're getting into a topic we have no answer for, so we probably should just leave it. But it's, um, I don't know, it, to, to me it's just, I, I, I wish I understood, you know, how it all how it all gets distributed. Because in a sense, it is about, it is about professional sport. It is that it's become a professional sport. It is because, in a sense, they're being, in a sense, paid to play and not to the student athlete that much, but is it paid to the university to get put these products forward, you know? And the product is a sports team, a competitive sports team. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, some of this conference realignment stuff, maybe it's good for, for fans because now we get to see, you know, more competitive games every week with uh, you know, teams like Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC that are always good, uh, you know, good in college football and good in college yeah, but basketball. But what was wrong with the Big 12? I mean, right. <laughs> my right. question is, the SEC had a bigger TV contract, so that's why you jumped. But what was wrong with the Big 12? What was wrong with the conference that was in your region, you know, that can, that was, in a sense, what happened to regional base? I mean, to me, that's where most of the, you know, um, competitives comes and the, and the rivalries come is these regional, you know, your, your team across the, the team across the state border, you know, Texas, Oklahoma, you know, you know, those were always big deals, you know, Kentucky, Tennessee basketball, Kentucky, Indiana basketball back in, back in those days, you know, those were huge rivalries, you know, you know, Duke, North Carolina, you know, you know, so now these things are starting to get split up, you know, and uh, is I don't know how you, you, you take that away, you know. And again, we know these schools are jumping. It's got to be money. I mean, what else are they jumping for? Yeah, I mean, gone are the days where the ACC was the Atlantic Coast. The Big East covered the Northeast area. The Big Ten was your Midwest. Your yeah. SEC was your you know, Southeast, Southeast region. Um, like gone are the conferences actually representing a region anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in the same way that all the portal stuff has kind of gone away from student athletes going to schools because they want to represent that school and they want to represent the name that's on the front of the Jersey and now replaced is it by the NIL stuff like we've been talking yeah. about and like we talked about before of. I'm going to go to the highest paying school and who cares? And the school is doing the same. All these colleges are basically entering the conference transfer portal in a way. 
Yeah, and here, here's a little flip and another side tangent topic, just because it's a story that I heard this week again because of, you know, my son's, you know, desire to play and uh, the recruiting stuff. And his travel coach told me an interesting story, an interesting dynamic that, that they're seeing and talking to now Division II uh, and, and Division three schools is so many of these young athletes have put their name into the portal and have jumped ship from a team because they didn't get to play or, or something, you know, uh, came up. Now I know, I know there's good reasons to go to the portal and I'm not, I'm not bemoaning those. I'm, I'm just talking about the ones that have just tried to jump because they want to play. There's so many names in the portal in, in, in baseball right now that many, many, many thousands did not get picked up by another division one school. And so they, in a sense, lost their division one scholarship and their division one opportunity and no other schools picked them up. So now they're having to drop and, and drops probably a terrible word, but um, they had now have to move down in a sense to division two schools to hopefully play or division three schools to hopefully get picked up and play because they lost what they left, you know? And so it's creating this another dynamic for the young athlete trying to come in because he can't, because these schools, you know, these players are now dropping, you know, either transferring or, you know, to, to move up to the better teams or thinking they're going to, and then end up finding out they basically lost everything. And now they're having to drop to, a, you know, a two or a three school to be able to get to play still, you know. When that was that division two or three level was when the portal first came about, that was young high school players entry level was to go division three yeah. or division two. And move up from there. But now, if even that's being taken by yep. fifth and sixth year seniors yep. um, who didn't get a Division One scholarship, and now they're taking that spot at D2, well, yep. that just forces even more high school kids to not have an opportunity to play. Yeah, and that's what we were talking about. It's as Coach was talking about, these, these kids, you know, and he's, you know, I shouldn't say his name, but our kids' team – Mike kid's team has has quite a few good little players on it and they're all kind of stuck in this void now you know and because of you know the, like all these things that we mentioned you know and so now you know the kid coming out of high school again unless you're a freakazoid you know um chances are a lot slimmer and uh, chances and even if you do go it's a fractional now we know threes can't offer money but twos can and then but they're fractionalizing their scholarships and, and so are ones now and giving a quarter fraction to you know factor to one player and cheering another quarter and another quarter of the allotment they have you know to get more in um but yeah i again went way off topic um so i don't know how do we how do we circle this to a close ryan i, I guess is where i'm at now i've, oh, yeah, I've, spun, I too, think... I've spun too many webs <laughs> <laughs> i think like we talked about you know the conference realignment has driven all of this money into college sports that everything we've talked about, it has driven the transfer portal. It has driven NIL. It has driven schools jumping ship. It has driven smaller sports being driven into the ground. It's caused these student athletes transferring to move into D two and three and force high school kids out of opportunities. Like, it all can be traced back to this root of these TV deals injecting so much money into college sports where it doesn't need to be 
that it's just caused this huge ripple effect of all of these other tangents that I don't think anybody could have foreseen actually happening. But they are happening, and they're happening all the time now. And it's just really sad, you know, that the star power of these certain schools and the networks that are trying to pursue them has caused so much of a negative impact across all of these other aspects of college sports. And gone is it actually being about being a college athlete and being proud to represent a university because now it's a battle to get recruited. It's a battle to even get a scholarship offer. It's a battle. A battle to retain it. If you look at what happened in Colorado with with Dion Mm -hmm. and Wipe, and I mean, now it's a battle to retain. Now all those kids got to keep their scholarship, but they, a lot of those, you know, were dropped from the team, but at least they got to keep their scholarships. But um, anyway, so, you know, and and it's the, it's the TVs and so forth. They're, they're basically trying to buy entertainment to put something on the air. And so it's become, you know, a big competition between all those big networks to, in a sense, buy these teams. So that's what's driven up the competition because, you know, these, these in my eyes, again, I'm not an entertainment expert, but, you know, I can see that there's not a lot of TV shows on anymore, or a lot of production, and there's not a lot of movies and so forth. So the major form of entertainment in this country right now is sports. You know, and so, you know, we're having to, in a sense, they're paying and we're paying indirectly, um, you know, to um, to have these types of forms of entertainment. So when the networks are just doing good business, they want the biggest schools they are going to draw the most viewers. It's going to make them the most money. Exactly. And they don't give a shit about, you know, what effect that has on other sports or anything. And all they see is. Oh, college football is an alternative to the NFL. It's a way for us to make another NFL that plays on Saturdays. Right. And now the NFL has gotten too expensive for them. So right. players. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, so now, we could go on and on and on. Who could we? We could. <laughs> well, now you see, you know, college football plays. You've got NFL on Thursday night. You've got college football on Friday and Saturday. You've got NFL again on Sunday and Monday. And then Tuesday and Wednesday, what do they do? All day, Tuesday and Wednesday, it's different talk shows on ESPN and on all these different networks talking about the college and NFL games. And then the cycle just repeats every week. And uh, it's the money that's been invested into it is is sickening. And Mm -hmm. I don't think we'll even, as a general public, see even a quarter of what's actually being being injected into the into the sports economy so we don't even know the true true impact of it right all right sir so we've spun on this topic how do we how do we wrap this up well i think you know anybody obviously you know like we've said before we'd love to hear people's people's thoughts on it you know we're not the most knowledgeable on any of this but we, I feel like, made it pretty clear where we feel and where we stand on the whole conference realignment. Obviously, we can't do anything to change it. It's happening whether we like it or not. But we would just, I think, both like to see there be some sort of regulation, some sort of the NCAA do its job and yeah. take back control of this rather than just let the networks run rampant through college sports. Um, 
But we'd love to hear. Love to and, hear and the parody. We want the NCAA to, to have parody and and make sure that the small school and small athlete, you know, the small school or small sport athlete, there's balance, right? You know, we 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 sound like balanced people. Maybe that's what we are, but um, you know, it, it's. I, I, I don't want it. it's like an equal share to everybody. We understand the proportion of commitment and we understand the proportion of of longevity in the sport and the you know the proportion of revenue it does bring in and, and, and you know the watch factor, how many people watch. You know, we understand all that, but there's got to be some proportionality to this whole thing. And and uh, I, I like your point about just getting back into control of, of everything that's going on because. Right now, it's it's become, you know, as I've said 30 times now, and I'm repeating again, um, it's they're all professional sports now. So. Yeah, it. It's sad, but, you know, yeah. the NCAA has to take some sort of action. Yeah. If they want to. But change do we still watch all the games? Yes, we do. Do we still yeah. watch? I mean, because we're we're we're, you know, we're. Ex-athletes, we enjoy sports and we enjoy watching it and everything else. We just don't like it when you know when we understand that um, how it's impacting others. So I guess it it doesn't change our viewership; it just changes our opinion, right? So, yep, yeah. All yeah, right, thanks everybody well, for uh, tuning in. I mean, that was a a pretty enthusiastic one, uh, I think, for both of us. But you know, we. Have a lot of skin in the game uh, with, obviously, my brother, uh, Cliff's son, other son, and, you know, a lot of other people that I know that have gone through the process or been lost out to the process. So, yeah, a lot of skin in the game for sure, but we'd love to hear what any of our listeners have to think. Um, and we will catch everybody next week uh, with... Not sure what our topic will be yet, uh, but we'll come yeah. up with something. Well, before we close, can I say something and you not get mad of at course. me? Of course. I want to congratulate Ryan on completing um, the Navy's primary flight school. Um, he is moving and completed all that. And so he is now moving to um, his selection process and um, will be determining what aircraft he will be flying for the Coast Guard. And so I'm very, very proud of him for all the hard work and time he put in to um, uh, make it through the, the Navy's program and flight program. It's not easy. Um, I would have never made it. I'm not that smart. So I uh, wanted to congratulate Ryan for, for that uh, great effort and his commitment um, to his country. Thank you very much. That really means a lot. Yeah. All right, people. Thank you. Have a great week. Thank you, everybody. Talk to you next week.